Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Deep Church, The Battle for the Truth. This is actually only the second episode of this new series from the book of Jude. Go ahead and turn uh, in your Bible to the book of Jude or find it on your phone or iPad, maybe if you're using an online uh, scripture there. But we're going to the book of Jude, and today we're talking about the enemy within the gates. You see, the enemy of the truth and the church is no longer outside the gates. It's now inside the gates of the church. We're not, when we, when we talk about some of the problems we're going to see in this episode, we're not talking so much about what's happening out in the world. We want to we want to reach those people with the message of Christ. But it's when those people either come into the church to change the church or to stop the preaching and teaching of truth or people already within the church adopt the uh, language and thinking and philosophy of those outside the church. That's, that's when we have the enemy within the gates and that's when we certainly must speak. Now, let's do a quick review, and you may, if you've not already heard episode one, you may want to go back and listen to that, but we'll just give a quick bird's eye view, overview of it right here. In our last episode, we saw that the writer of the small epistle of Jude called himself a servant, a doulos, the lowest form of servant, and yet he was actually brother, or a really more technically half-brother, to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But now, because Christ is resurrected, ascended, and glorified, he sees himself as a doulos, a bond slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. What a change, because you see, in his earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jude was not a believer in Jesus. After the resurrection, and he saw his brother resurrected, he believed in Christ. We see there that he writes the letter to the sanctified, the, the preserved, and the called. That would be us who believe in Christ. We have the love of God. We are guarded in our faith by him, and we're invited to be believers in Christ. And he, he says he wishes us mercy peace and love. We saw that last week, and that these would be multiplied. They would just be increasing more and more. And you know what? If we're going to stand against deep church, if we're going to be involved in the battle for the truth and defeat the enemy already within the gates, it's going to take the mercy of God, the peace of God, and the love of God. Amen? Amen. He said that uh, as we saw last week, that when he first intended to write this epistle, he wanted to write to the believers about the common salvation, that is, the, the gospel, that we are saved by Christ and all the good things that go with our common salvation in Christ. Instead, he was led by the Spirit of God, looking at 
the time of, of his day, when you see this, the, all of this is not new, but it, it happens in every generation, and it seems new probably. But even in Jude's day, there was a need to earnestly contend for the faith. And he encouraged them, he exhorted them to extend every energy. And I use the analogy of my sons who were high school wrestlers and uh, one wrestled in college. And every ounce of muscular energy is used in the sport of wrestling. We are to defend the faith that way. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. And I did make the point last week, and this is critical, that even at the time of the writing of the book of Jude, which may have been in the 60s or 70s AD, very close to the time of the earthly ministry of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, very close to that, there was a known body of truth called the faith. In other words, there was a clearly defined set of Bible doctrines that comprise the Christian faith. And this existed way back then. It didn't take a church council 300 years later or a thousand years later to figure out what Christians believe. That was already well uh, certified. And he said that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. That definite article, the, is in in there. And so he's talking about a specific known set of doctrine. So that has been entrusted, it's been delivered once for all to the church. So we have that. It is in our care and our trust now to defend that and protect that for all time. Now, let's go to a passage I want to show you. And Christ actually uses this same phrase. And he uses that, when I find it, <laughs> he uses that, uh, I know I copied that and had that here. Where did I have that? Uh, let's see. Let's see. Well, uh, apparently I didn't. But anyway, if you look in Luke 18, verse 8, the Lord Jesus Christ had just told the parable of the unjust judge. I mean, the guy, as far as giving good judgment, was worthless. And yet the, the widow kept coming to him. And finally, even though he was an unjust judge and he really didn't care, he figured she could wear me out. So he, he granted what she wanted. And Christ used that, that parable, that story, to say that we ought to be just as persistent. And yet, after he said that, he said, he, he asked a, a rhetorical question, that, that when the Son of Man comes, when he returns, will he find the faith, that same phrase, definite article, and you don't see it in the translations, but if you look in the Greek, it's there. So he said, will he find the faith on the earth? Now, some people say, well, that was referring to the kind of faith the widow had. Okay, I get that. But the point is, the reason she had that kind of faith 
in, in this analogy here is she believed a certain set of truths, if you follow me. She believed that if she persisted long enough, she would have the judge rule in her favor. Well, maybe Christ meant that, but I, but I think it's also very possible that he was talking about when he returns, will there be, the, uh, will there be believers on the earth you know, how many will there be, let's say, maybe a, maybe a very, very, very small minority who are actually clinging to the true Christian faith. And I think that uh, that certainly could be argued from that passage. But anyway, we're not trying to make issues about that, but the same phrase is right there in Luke 18, 8. Now, let's go back to Jude Let's read everything we've read so far and add one more verse today. And remember that I said in our last episode that I not only want to, to exegete or exposit, uh, you know, dig out the truth that is in the book of Jude, but I want you to see how you can do that as well. So we're kind of learning methods as well as the message here. Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, we know that if he was a brother of James, as I said earlier, he was also the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ because Jude was James' brother, and Jude and James had Joseph as their father. Jesus Christ had God the Father as his father. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now here's the new verse today. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So here is the why for the book of Jude. Why was it written? Well, there's your reason right there. There's the problem that existed. There was the emergency that needed to be addressed. What, Pastor Ed? I missed it. It's right there in verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares, now, let's break that down a little bit. What is he talking about here? Well, there are certain men, and I think he had people, specific people in mind. The Greek word anthropos is used, and that, depending on the context, it can refer to males or men, but it can also refer to people. So maybe there were men and women, but whoever it was, there were people who had, had stolen into the church that is sort of snuck in. And here's the problem. These people were, he says, were before of old ordained to this condemnation, this judgment. 
The word used there, ordained, is prographo, and it means it was written about, it was predicted before in the scriptures that this would happen. So this is not something that caught God by surprise or even Jude by surprise. It shouldn't catch us by surprise. There, there are always in every age of the church, even from the first church, I, I smile sometimes when people say, we just need to get be, back to being like a New Testament church. And I'm sure that for a brief period of time, the first New Testament church in Jerusalem was pretty close to perfect. But it didn't take long, as you see, even in the book of Acts, for problems to crop up. And of course, Satan, he's not happy that the church exists. He's not happy that the gospel of Christ is being spread around the world. He's not happy that if you're a Christian, that you were saved and your very existence, plus your uh, personal witness, testify to the truth of God. So you can imagine that one of his initial goals very quickly was to make sure that he mixed the faults with the truth, that he mixed the bad with the good. Now, I want to ask you a question. If I told you that I had a, a wonderful cheesecake here and it was 99% cheesecake but 1% poison, would that be of concern to you? You bet. <laughs> I'm glad the 99% is, uh, uh, you know, that 99% is 100% authentic cheesecake, but it's that 1% of poison that you got me on. That's what I paid attention to. Well, this is what the devil does, and he mixes the false with the true, the bad with the good, until ultimately his goal is that the false replace the true. That's what he wants to happen. Have you ever heard the phrase, a lie told often enough soon becomes the truth? Boy, do we ever see that today in the so-called fake news. And it's actually not a new thing. Hitler wrote about that in his book, Mein Kampf. I'm not endorsing Hitler or his book, but even he wrote about it. And in German, it's called the Grosse Lurge. And it means the big lie. And the whole idea, and the Nazis used this uh, actually in their propaganda to the world and especially to the German people. They used it, and it's been used by the communists around the world. It's been used throughout the ages, but never like it's been used in modern times. And here's the idea. Tell a big, humongous, unbelievable, impossible lie and stick to it. And you just keep pounding that rock until it becomes accepted as true. That's called propaganda. That's what's happening not only in the world, but it's happening in the church. Now, why do I call this deep church? Well, just as it has been exposed that there is a deep state, a government within the government, within the government in the United States, that its only goal is to be in power, and they don't care what you think or even what's right, 
power is the objective. And I think really that exists in governments all over the world, but we, we surely have seen that exposed in recent times in America. So if there's a deep state, I want you to know with all certainty, there is also what we can call deep church. Deep church is where there are agents and operators. I don't even know if they know it. Let's just, I think many of them do, but let's just say that they don't. But they're being used by Satan to mix the false with the true, the bad with the good, until the false replaces the true. And that's what we see going on within the church. Now, again, this was written about before, before of old, it, it was these men were ordained to this condemnation, Jude says, so they'll be judged. But who, who are they? And again, remember that anthropos can not only mean men, but it can also mean women. It can mean, it can mean people in general is what I'm trying to say. So it may be men or women, but it's ungodly men and what does that mean when he uses that phrase? For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. What does that mean? Well, the, the word there, the Greek word is asabes, and it means without reverential awe of God. There's no reverence for God. Have you kind of started noticing that as you see uh, I'm not talking about, you know, your local town church that has a church service on your local station and people who are disabled and can't get out to church can watch that. The elderly can watch it. People who are lost, who don't go to church can watch it and maybe come to Christ. All that's good. But I'm not talking really about that. I'm talking about um, so-called ministries that are more national or global in scope. Have you noticed like I have noticed that with, with too many, in my opinion, too many of those pastors, ministry leaders, there, there seems to be, compared to the past, there doesn't seem to be an, an awe of God. They, they seem way more impressed with themselves and their ministries. And I didn't say everybody on TV is like that. I'm just saying that that strikes me as I look at some books. And you may have thought that too. And in fact, it can get to the point that they are impious. That is, that they reject the moral truth and the divine truth of Scripture because they think something different or they think something should be done other than what Scripture says. It can even get to the point an ungodly person like these people here that Jude mentions can begin condemning God, that God is the problem. Well, I want you to know that God is not the problem. He is the solution. The problem is sin and people who embrace it and defend it within the church. Now, Notice this, uh, these people, especially pr primarily men, I would say, are, it, it, it's not out in the open. They may look godly, but behind the mask, you discover that they're not. 
They're not sold out to God. They're sold out to money, uh, sold out to themselves, sold out to prosperity. Don't look at their image that they project through media. Look at their actions in order to see their heart. And Satan is pretty clever. I'll give him that because he hides these people right out in the open. And so many times they are not detected for what they're doing. They may be preachers in large churches. They may be Bible college professors or seminary professors. They may be heads of agencies and denominations and it can be all over the place. It may be, for all I know, it may be the pastor in your church. But what I'm saying is whoever they are and wherever they are, they don't come out and say, hey, follow me. I'm ungodly. I'm going to lead you away from the truth. I mean, that would be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? But they are, they are hidden in plain sight. But you have to look at their actions. Now, what are their actions? Well, Jude doesn't leave us hanging here. He tells us, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, and here's the first thing, turning the grace of our God, that's our God, by the way, not theirs, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now, I know that's a word you use every day, right? Well, let me, let me tell you what that word means. It means, it means blatant immorality of, of any type that you can think of. I don't even want to define it further because, yes, it's as ugly as you were thinking it is. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That is, they may say things like, well, hey, we, we walk in grace now. Don't judge me. Don't try to put the law on me. Uh, some are even saying today, that we should unhitch from the Old Testament. Well, the Old Testament contains vast sections of moral law that teach us what it looks like when we live in such a way that displeases God and when we live in such a way that pleases God. And it's hard to unhitch from the Old Testament when you consider that so much of the New Testament, not all of it, of course, but, it, but it's, it's woven throughout the New Testament with Old Testament quotations all over the New Testament. So it's impossible to unhitch from the Old Testament. Come on, get real. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Now, grace is that unmerited favor of God. He loves us because he loves us, not because we're lovable. It's, it's by grace that we're saved through faith, right? So it, it involves the whole idea of the saving grace and salvation of God. But they say, you know, we're not under the law anymore. We walk in grace and so we're free to do anything we want. Well, that's a lie. 
and they, they are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Let me put it a different way. They're normalizing sin within the church. Now again, if, if you uh, have a lifestyle or you're in a group that does what you do and it's against the word of God and it's outside the church, hey, we may try to reach you for Christ, but we can't control you. All right, it's sort of like this is America. You do whatever you want, right? The problem is when that is, that is infiltrated into the church and there's a normalizing of sin. Let me give you without, you know, great detail. Let me just give, give you the basic, some of the basic things I'm talking about. The whole gender debate. Hey, if the world wants to knock themselves out over that, go for it. But that should never be a debate in the church. Jesus Christ said that in the beginning, God created the male and female. And then he talked about marriage. There's no question mark here in the mind of Christ. And there should not be a question mark in the church about the whole gender debate, the whole marriage debate about homosexual marriage and all of that. Clearly, very clearly, marriage in the Bible, a biblical marriage is male and female. There's just no arguing about that. Genesis 5-2, God created them male and female. Jesus backs that up in Mark 10-6, Matthew 19-4, and I, I believe it's also in Luke. I just didn't write that passage down. But anyway, all of a sudden, within the gates of the church, that's some kind of debate. I don't get it. I think it's from people who have crept in unawares, who were before of old, ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. The whole revoice movement that is basically saying that you can be uh, gay and you can be Christian. Well, I understand that, that someone who's gay can come to faith in Christ. They may even have a struggle after that, but I believe Christ forgives all sin and he frees all people. And by the way, that's not the worst sin in the Bible. It's, it is only a sin like fornication or you know, getting drunk or stealing or anything like that. We're all sinners maybe in different ways, but everybody's a sinner. But the revoice movement says that you don't have to repent of that. Um, it's okay to be that. And this is turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Churches are blessing abortion. <laughs> I know that's impossible to believe, right? But churches are fighting for the right for women to murder their babies in the womb. I'm getting pretty blunt here, aren't I? Well, I am because the enemy is within the gates. Churches today, to me, so often seem a lot more like nightclubs or like a, a rock concert or, and, and sometimes like Disneyland than they do like a church. You know, I'm, I'm not against people listening to music I'm not against, um, you know, uh, churches ministering to children and teens and so forth, but I don't know. I heard about a church about two or three years ago that baptized 
several thousand people. I, I think it was like 3,000, and they did it like a, a water park, theme park super slide, you know, baptizing them allegedly as they came down this slide in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. You know what? I, I don't know, man. I mean, maybe there were real saved people who believed they were getting baptized and 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 maybe they meant it. I mean, I can't judge motives. I'm just saying that that's really weird. All right? That's totally weird. And yet it's considered normal, I guess, now. And it's more like a stunt or a prank. It just doesn't seem to smell right. It doesn't feel right. It's like a missing of a reverential awe for God. Huh. That's the same thing Jude said. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And uh, that's definitely going on now. And, you know, it can even be like this. Maybe, maybe in churches in your town, pastors won't commit to what the truth is about certain sin. They won't take a stand. They're, they're in the middle of the road. They're, they play it both ways. They work both sides of the street. I want you to know, friends, that that is making them slowly become enemies within the gates themselves. Pastors are called to preach the word. The word will never change. I've made up my mind, and I may fail in my own flesh, but with the help of God, I've made up my heart and mind that if I'm the last person on planet Earth who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and his Bible like it was given to us in the first place, I'm down with that. I'm good with that. If I had to, with the Lord enabling me, I would be willing to die for Christ. And yet I know in my own flesh, I could easily cave. And I, I'm glad to know that here in the book of Jude, he protects me and he guards me and he's able to make me stand. But I hope that I would have one or two other people standing with me. Maybe that would be people like you that realize the assault on the truth within the church. You know, I've had a hard time being called again as a pastor. <laughs> Didn't do anything wrong, right? Uh, but I think that when people hear me preach, they don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear the truth. They'd rather hear a nice, soothing amusement park type message and how to have a better marriage and how to have better kids. You know what? The Bible's not filled with that. I don't know where people get that from. The Bible has truth in it about being married and about being a parent and raising children, but it's not easy. And the goal in this life is not to have a perfect problem-free family. In fact, if you truly follow Jesus, it's going to be hard. If somebody told you when you got saved that this was going to be a walk through Six Flags, they, they either didn't understand or they deliberately hid from you the truth. The truth is 
when you got saved, you put on the military uniform of our commander, King Jesus. You put on the athletic uniform of the Jesus team. Well, the word on the street is, is that we're opposed. We are opposed by Satan and his army, Satan and his team. And this is going to be a royal slugfest until we're done. But I read the end of the book, we win. Hang in there, my brother, my sister. All right, I started preaching. All right, I said there's two things about their actions that tip tip us off. We just saw the first one, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And here's the second one, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, (laughs) this is is simply amazing. People who say they are believers say, oh, how I love Jesus. Maybe they're preachers. They could even be teachers in your church or your Bible study or Sunday school. They could be nationally known or not. But many, a growing number, let's put it that way, are denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. It pains my heart to tell you, and I I don't want to give you all the examples, but if you start searching it, you'll see it yourself. But Bible colleges that used to be sold out to Jesus and Bible truth are now fudging it a little bit. And they are, uh, they are t- uh, tamping down and toning down what they say and believe in order to keep getting federal money. Seminaries are going the same route where professors are involved in, in movements and other organizations and advocating for this and advocating for that. And it's things that are diametrically opposed to Bible truth. It's happening in churches as well, where where professing believers are remaking God in their own image instead of worshiping Jesus Christ and following his truth as he calls us to do. They are denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Jude's day, when Rome ruled the world. There were times when Rome required that every citizen simply acknowledge that that Rome was the big dog and Caesar was God. And as long as you did that, you could do any other worship you wanted to 364 days a year. But that one day, you had to give, literally give that little pinch of salt in sacrifice to Caesar, acknowledging that Caesar is Lord. Well, the Christians came on the scene and they said, well, actually that's a lie. Only Jesus is Lord. And true Christians would not offer that sacrifice to Caesar. They would not bow the knee to Caesar and the Roman government. That made them enemies of the state. Well, we're, we're very rapidly progressing in the same direction today. 
We've always had cults that deny the deity of Christ, that he's, they say that he's not God. Well, he is. And if you listen to my series on the Gospel of John, Behold Your God, I mean, that's, that's a truth John hammers home from start to finish. Jesus is God come in human form. You have things like the human potential movement that every day and every way I am getting better and better. I think modern history is starting to put some doubt into that because things seem to get worse and worse. But the human potential movement has invaded the church, I mean, decades ago, where now many churches are just kind of self-help centers. They don't have really anything to do with sin and salvation, repentance from sin, a future judgment. Jesus is God. Jesus is the only way. That's disappeared from a lot of churches and a lot of preaching. Did you know that there are uh, online, you can buy these. I'd never heard of this until about a month ago, but you've heard of Ouija boards, right? Which that's not a game. I mean, it is, but it's it was something that existed before it was turned into a game format. And it was a uh, an ancient way to communicate with demonic spirits or with the dead, which are demonic spirits impersonating the dead. Some bright genius came up with the idea of angel boards. Well, it's just a Ouija board, man. And it's communicating with, quote, your angel, but it's a demon spirit. Did you know that these can be bought online and that Christians, I guess, are buying these things to speak with their angel, which there's never anything in Scripture told us that, you know, that we're to do something like that. And yet probably there are professing Christians doing that. Christians, or I, I want to be very careful here. I don't believe a true Christian ever does this. But professing Christians are now worshiping the creature more than the creator. That is, uh, quote, Mother Earth, Gaia, and all of this nonsense is worshiped in place of the worship that belongs only to the creator of the universe. Seminaries, Bible college, colleges, denominations, and churches are being overrun with social justice warriorism and critical race theory and intersectionality. Again, I could try to explain all of that, but it's going to take a long time. Google it, and you can find online what all of that is about. There are even professing believers in churches and Bible colleges and seminaries and ministries mocking the rapture of the church and mocking the return of Christ. Did you know that? Well, actually, Peter predicted that. And this one, uh, I think I had this one. Man, I thought I... I don't know. I must be losing my mind. <laughs> I thought I got those all those things down, and I don't seem to have them. But Peter predicted in 2 Peter 3 that in the last days that, that scoffers would come, people who scoffed about and mocked the return of Christ and the rapture of the church. And he says that's actually one of the signs, one of the proofs. 
So in, a, in an unusual way, even though the things I've told you certainly should concern us, no doubt they should, but in another way, they also just show us how close we are to the return of Christ because things would become more and more like this, obviously in the world, but the concern is within the church. Wow. Well, that's as far as we're going to go today in the book of Jude, but I mean, that's a, that's a dump truck load right there. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. My prayer for you today is that you already are a true believer in Christ and a defender of his truth, his word. If you are not, my prayer is that you will soon become one who trusts in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, and that you will grow abundantly in your knowledge of the Word of God. If you need help with that decision, I'm going to give you two phone numbers you can call, two different places you can call to get your questions answered or to make a decision to have Jesus Christ be your Savior and Lord. The first number is 888-633-3446. The second number is 888-537-8720. I'll give them both again. 888-633-3446. Four six, or 888-537-8720. If you were to call either one of those numbers, someone will help you with questions that you may have about the Christian life, about how to become a Christian, and about how to live for the Lord. Well, I thank you for listening to this second episode in Deep Church, The Battle for the Truth. I'm asking you to let others know about this podcast as well. As of this week, we are now on iHeartRadio podcast. Woohoo! We are on Spotify. We are on um, Apple, whatever Apple is now, and we are on Google Play. But you know the easiest way to get there is the simplest way. www.dred h-i-l-l dot podbean dot com that's www.dredhill dot podbean dot com there's no period after that dr I hope you will tell others about the podcast and I look forward to having you join us on the third episode in the book of Jude Deep Church The Battle for the Truth have a great week God bless Thank you.